Please turn in your Bibles to John 17. Seventeen verses 11 through 17. We're making our way through this prayer. And what I'm finding is I'm not, I'm not meant to preach on big, this big of chunks in this, in this prayer. <laughs> if, if I wasn't doing topical sermons, but doing exegetical sermons, we would be in John 17 for a few months. One Puritan I think preached 150 sermons on John 17. John 17 verses 11 through 17. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Lord Jesus, pray for us right now. We thank you that you're not only praying for us in this prayer long ago in John 17, but you are still praying for us. And so we ask Jesus that you would pray for us. Lord Jesus, you know what we need better than we do. You, you know what I need to say and the way I need to say it for this people. Alney Baptist Church. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would intercede right now for us, that you would pray for us. Lord, that you would keep us right now in your name and that you would sanctify us through your word. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last Sunday, we focused on prayer to encourage you to pray and pursue God in prayer in 2024 like never before. And to do so, we began studying this prayer of Jesus, the Lord's high priestly prayer to His Father in John 17. And we're thinking about prayer last week. We're thinking about unity, specifically this Sunday. And God willing, next Sunday, we'll think about missions, uh, all from John 17. Notice... Notice what Jesus doesn't pray for. I sort of want to make a point 
uh, here in the introduction. Notice in this prayer of prayers, in uh, this most holy prayer where we see uh, the communion of of the Son and the Father, I, I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't pray for that we actually most often pray for. And I'm, I'm not saying that what we most often pray for is wrong. I'm not saying that what we most often pray for is bad. But I do want you to notice this. Because I think it's striking that there are hardly any prayers in the Bible for what we most often pray for. In your life in the church, your history of prayer meetings, what do we most often pray for? Aunt Susie's friend's wife's child's dog hurt his foot. That's a little exaggeration. We, we often pray about sick, sickness, don't we? Almost all the requests that I get that are urgent and need to be prayed for are things about our physical health, our physical well-being. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Keep them coming. Don't stop sending those. Don't stop asking for prayer for that. But I do want you to notice, Jesus doesn't say anything about that here. Can you think of any prayers in the Bible that do? I can think of a few. Maybe I can count it on my hand. Almost all the prayers that God gives us to pray have nothing to do with what we most often pray for. I just want you to notice that. And we, we won't, that's one of the reasons I said every time we have a prayer request, there needs to be a praise. We need to add that in. Um, we want to grow in this, right? We, yes, we want to keep praying for physical health and uh, pray for sickness and things like that. But, but this is not what Jesus prays for. Not for physical health, not for physical prosperity. Jesus doesn't pray for an easy life. He, he, he doesn't pray for our best life now. Jesus doesn't pray for any of that. And we want our prayers more and more to reflect Christ's priorities and God's priorities. We see Jesus deeply loves His own glory in this prayer. We see that He loves His Father's glory. We see He deeply loves those whom the Father has given Him, His elect. And so He prays. And He's praying this prayer right before His arrest and His crucifixion. And He prays for you because He loves you. John 15, 9 As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus loves you, Only Baptist Church. And He prays for you. And He's praying for you in this prayer. Since Jesus loves you so much and prays for you, you should want to be like Jesus and deeply love His glory and deeply love the Father's glory and deeply love God's elect. And so I encouraged you and us all to pray last week. Pray because of all those amazing reasons. Jesus is praying for you in our text today. He's, he's, he's guarding you. He's granting you His joy and giving you His Father's Word. And the Father is keeping you and sanctifying you. Those are the two main requests that Jesus prays, the petitions. 
that he asked for in this prayer that the Father would keep his disciples and that the Father would sanctify his disciples through his word so that there's a purpose of those two requests so that you may be one even as Jesus and his Father are one. So these two petitions have a purpose. May God keep you and may God sanctify you that you may be one. Even as Jesus and the Father are one. We see Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, teach on this kind of unity in Ephesians chapter 2. Please turn there in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so God is, is making a people who are hostile, Jew and Gentile, he's making them one body in Christ, by the blood of Christ, by the death of Christ, to be God's temple where God dwells by the Spirit of God. And he does this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Through the blood of Christ. I wonder if there are any visitors here today, any unbelievers here today, we're glad that you're here, we, we welcome you, and, and you uh, are divided from people in your life. Maybe that was even made aware to you over this last week of Thanksgiving where you have friends, family that you can't talk to, that you won't talk to because there's some kind of division. Well, friends, there is division and hatred and resentment and bitterness and people don't talk to each other and people aren't friendly toward each other and people don't love each other because there's sin in the world. There is sin in the world. There's racism in the world because there's sin in the world. People hate each other because there's sin in the world. People don't talk to one another because there's sin in the world. 
And the Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have broken God's laws and commandments. We, we naturally divide. We naturally nitpick. We, we naturally find reasons not to talk to each other. And we gossip and talk about each other. And we think evil thoughts about one another. And we judge one another. And all of this is sin and rebellion against God. And because God is righteous and holy and good, He will punish all sinners in hell forever where they will suffer under His wrath and curse and judgment. And that's what we all deserve. For our sin, we deserve hell. We deserve His righteous condemnation. Friend, do you know you deserve that? Christian, do you know you deserve it? But we have good news. <laughs> I just read the good news. There, there's good news, na namely that we can be forgiven. We, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be forgiven of our grumbling and complaining and nitpicking and, and gossiping. And we can be forgiven of not wanting to talk to each other. We, we can be forgiven for not wanting to be around each other. Because Jesus has come. The God-man. God come in the flesh. The Son of God came and lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Never complained, never nitpicked, never uh, had a wicked thought, not even one. And, and he came after having lived that perfectly obedient life. And then the crown of his obedience is his death on the cross where he suffered. He took the hell, the curse, the judgment that you and I deserve and suffered on the cross and paid the penalty that we deserve, paid the hell that we deserve and was buried, and on the third day He rose up from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that whatever you've done, no matter how bad you've been, how divided you've been, how hateful you've been, if you turn from your sins and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you shall be saved. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, if you've not done that today, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you to come to Christ and trust in Him. Children, if you've not trusted in Jesus yet, I'm, I'm, I'm calling on you to trust in the Lord Jesus. Believe on Him. You, you can't work for this. You can't earn it. It's a, it's a gift freely given by God that you simply receive by faith. By trusting in Jesus' finished work. And when you believe on Him, He washes away all of your sins. All your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins. Every sin you have and ever will commit is all washed behind His back and He remembers it no more. And He puts His Spirit in you. And He unites you to Himself. And He empowers you then to live for Him. And, and, and then people that you once even might have hated, you begin to love. I love the testimonies when a KKK member gets saved. Have you read any of those lately? I love to read those. They get saved. They get saved and, and, and they, they, they go and pay the money to have those nasty racist tattoos taken off their bodies. And they repent and they love people they once hated. 
Or the testimony of Musab Yusuf, who is the son of, of, of the Hamas founder and, and, and worked for Hamas in, in Gaza and wanted to kill Jews. But then he began to read about Jesus and learn about Jesus and heard these words of Jesus, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he began to love his enemies. This is what the gospel does. It it transforms you to loving those you once hated. And, and even if, if, if people are still hostile towards you and your enemies, Jesus says, love your enemies. Love them. And He makes us one in Christ, no matter what our past is. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. That's the, if you like thesis statements, if those help you, that's the thesis statement of this sermon. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. You like the peas? I like the peas there. Point number one. Jesus' disciples face a common experience of exile. Jesus' disciples face a common experience of exile. John 17, 11 and 16, Jesus says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is praying for His disciples who were with Him in His ministry on earth. Right? We want to understand that in its immediate and uh, uh, historical context. He's praying for His disciples there who are with Him. And yet, I want to remind us, and I'm, I'm preaching it this way because you're here, and yet He's praying for you as well. And we know that from John 17, 20. Look there again. Just let me remind you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. That's you. You have believed in Jesus through the Word of the Apostles. So he's praying for you. He says it. I'm not only praying for them, I'm praying for those who will believe. Jesus is praying for you. So if you're ever asked, where does Jesus pray for me in the Bible? John 17. He's praying for you. This prayer is for you. And Jesus says he's going to ascend back to the Father. He's going back to the Father. This is what He told them in John 16, 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And so He's going to die. He's going to rise. Uh, Christ is King and He's the King ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty to continue to provide for us and shower us with His gifts. That's the ascension. If you want to know more about the ascension, come with us to Westchester tonight. We're going to hear about that. Eric Watson writes about uh, Watkins. Eric Watkins writes about the ascension this way. The ascension of Jesus Christ is much more than just a postscript to the resurrection. It is the return of the King. 
to his rightful throne from which he furnishes his rescued people with gifts of service for use in his kingdom. The chief gift that Christ continues to give, however, is himself. In this connection, the Westminster Shorter Catechism rather brilliantly relates the threefold offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, as being ministries that Christ performs both in his estate of humiliation and exaltation. In his ascended state of exaltation, Christ our prophet continues to reveal to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. As our priest, Christ makes continual intercession for us. And as our king, Christ is continually subduing us to himself, ruling and defending us, and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. If the resurrection is the main event of history and the climax of the Christian story, the ascension is the crowning of our king as he sits upon his throne in glory. From there he bestows many fine gifts upon us, the chief of which is union with him through the Holy Spirit. In Christ we find life and fitness for service to the King of kings and Lord of lords who is our divine rescuer and the lover of our souls. And so Jesus says in this prayer, He's going to the Father to do that. Beloved, notice Jesus also says that His disciples are in exile. They're in exile. Beloved, do you know that this is not your home? This is not your home. Do you know that? Some of us feel that more than others. Verse 16, they are not of the world. My disciples are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What does the world mean here? The world here, we're not of the world. What does that mean that we're not of the world? The world here means the realm which stands in rebellion and total opposition to God and to all of His ways and to all of His commands. That's the world. How do I know that? Well, look, look at some of these ways that John uses the word world. John 7, 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Its works are evil. The world's works are evil. John 14, 16 through 17. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't know God. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And one more, 1 John five nineteen. we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are not of the world. We are not of this realm that stands in rebellion and total opposition to God and total opposition to His ways and total opposition to His commands. We are not of the world if we're believers. We are citizens of another world. Beloved, do you know that? Your citizenship is in heaven. This is not your home. I, I love a song by John Denver, Take Me Home. Country roads. 
But I rewrote the words because I want to go somewhere better than West Virginia. Come, my Lord, take me home. Come, my Lord, take me home to the place I belong there in heaven, right beside you. Come, my Lord, take me home. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And then there's another song I like by James Taylor, Carolina on my mind. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. I rewrote those because I love North Carolina. I'm looking forward. I'm thinking about going home already in, in less than four weeks to be with my mom. But I want something better than Carolina. In my mind, I'm gone to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. Friend, these, these are the normal desires of any believer. It's better to be with Jesus. We, we want to depart and be with Christ. Jesus is coming back for who? For those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Friend, this was one of the first indicators as I look back on my life that I was not born again. I had friends in high school and they were talking about, we really want Jesus to come back. We can't wait for Jesus to come back. And I'm, you know, I'm a junior in high school, maybe a sophomore, and I'm thinking, I don't want Him to come back yet. I want to live my life. I want to, I want to uh, you know, I want to graduate. I want to go to college. I want to get a job. I want to get married. I want to have children. I, want, I, I did not know Christ. People who know Jesus, there ain't nothing more they're waiting for than for Him to come. That's the cry of the believer, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of another world. We are not of this world. Jesus says it. We're not of this world. Philippians 3, 18-21 For many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And beloved, because we are exiles right now in this world, we have got to pursue unity and help each other pursue God and grow in Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews speaks about this. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. We've got to, we've got to help each other not be worldly. <laughs> we've got to help each other remember this is not my home. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, every day, every day. <laughs> what does that mean for us as, 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 as Christians at Only Baptist Church? Every day, not just Sunday for two hours. What, what does it mean for us to love each other, to be so unified, to care so much about each other that we exhort one another every day? Holy Spirit, help us figure that out. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I need to hear it. 
I need to be encouraged. I need to be told things that you think I already know. <laughs> I, need, I need to be told that Jesus loves me. <laughs> this I know for the Bible tells me so. You need to hear it. We need to hear the, the same old truths over and over and over again from each other and be reminded and prayed for. Hebrews 10, 23-25, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus says that you are not of this world. Dear Christian, be who you are. Be who you are. You are not of this world. You are otherworldly. You're not a worldly people. You died to that way of life. To no longer live that way. Romans 8, 9, and 13 through 14. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so we are not of the world and we should live lives that show that we're not of this world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we say no to sin and live for Christ. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people as we are exiles in this world together. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. Point two, Jesus' disciples are unified as one by the Father's sovereign keeping power. Look at verse 11 again. Holy Father, Jesus prays, keep them in Your name which You have given Me that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus prays to His Holy Father. Jesus' Father is holy. He's totally separate from sinners. He's transcendent. He's high and lifted up. He's perfect in purity. His eyes are too pure to look upon sin, the prophet said. He's set apart. He's the one whom Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 6.3. One of the seraphim said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and the whole earth is full of His glory. And, and because He's the Holy Father, He calls us to be holy, which we'll get to later on in the prayer, sanctify them. 1 Peter 1.14-16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as one who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's praying to this holy Father. And Jesus prays for His disciples to be kept in the Father's name. Jesus is praying for God's elect, those whom the Father has given Him, His disciples on earth at the time, and those who will believe to be kept in the Father's name. Two ways this has been understood uh, of what, what does it mean to be kept in the Father's name. Uh, D.A. Carson writes about this. One way to understand this is to protect them by the power of your name. That, that song, I like that song. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name. 
power in the blood, power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And I hope I can encourage those of you who don't feel like you have a very good singing voice. Just sing! (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Make a joyful noise. There's power in the name. And so Psalm 54, 1, Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. And so this, this understanding would be God's name points to His character and His might, that He's a powerful protector. That's one way of understanding this. Father, keep them in your name. A, a second way, and I actually tend toward this understanding, uh, keep them in your name means keep them loyal to you or keep them in the full adherence to your character. In other words, keep them trusting in Jesus for who He is and keep them obeying God's Word and keep them following Jesus faithfully. I think that's correct because of how Jesus continues in His prayer in John 17, 12. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And so, keep them in your name means don't let them be lost like Judas. Keep them following Christ. Keep them trusting Christ. Keep them believing in Christ. Keep them walking with the Lord. Keep them in your name. Protect them. And keep them walking with Christ. Beloved, notice that this is the name the Father has given to the Son. Notice that. Did you notice that? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. What name is that? Exodus 3.14 God said to Moses from the burning bush when he asked, Who is your name? I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This, this is the name above all names, Lord, Yahweh. And God the Father has eternally given this name to His Son. And we know that from places like John eight fifty eight, where Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this, this is going to get me a little bit excited here. Listen to what Bobby Jameson, pastor at Capitol Baptist Church, along with Mark Dever, says about this prayer of what Jesus is asking here. It means Jesus is asking the Father to keep Christians confessing Christ's divine identity. It means that Jesus is praying that His followers will continue to hold fast to the full paradoxical truth of who He is, that He is both God and man. So, so, so what Jesus prayed for me, what Jesus prayed for me, Jesus prayed for me that I would wear this and confess this and hold fast to this. Okay, maybe not wear it. But he prayed that I would confess this. That's what this prayer is about. Jesus prayed that I would confess this and hold fast to this. And so wear it, Brandon. Wear it proud. And remember, Jesus prayed that you would confess that in this prayer. That's amazing. Yesu Akbar. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus prayed this for us. Jesus wants His own to be, be kept in the Father's name and in His name. Why? W what's the purpose of that? That we would be one. That we would be one even as He and the Father are one. That's what the text says. That's the purpose of being kept in the Father's name, in the Son's name. What does it mean for Jesus' followers to be one? Well, if you go on in the prayer to verses 20 through 23, we, we see a little bit more of what that means. I mean, it is amazing that, that, that he says, even in our verse, that we would be one even as we are one. So Jesus is praying that we as believers would be one even as He, Jesus, is one with the Father. That's the kind of unity Jesus is praying for. And, and we see it also in John, uh, John 17, 20-23. Look at those verses, 20-23. I do not ask... I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, right? He's praying for us, that they, all, they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. There's a big old word about that. I didn't even learn this one in seminary. I was like, why didn't they teach me more about the Trinity in seminary? Perichoresis. Perichoresis. i got to teach that to some of the kids. It, it, it basically means the indwelling of the persons of the Trinity in one another. And where does it come from? Right out the Bible. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. We're, we're, we're unified with God the Father and God the Son so that the world may... Now, this is getting into next week. So that the world may believe you've sent me. We're getting into missions. That's for next week. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you've sent me and loved them, even as you've loved me. That's next week. Come back next week. Ooh, that's, that's good. That's amazing. Lo loved, you, you loved them, even as you've loved me? Come back next week. That's a teaser. But notice, Jesus is praying for this kind of profound, mystical union, oneness that the Father and the Son have. We would have that as well. You can't get more oneer than that. What, what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus is praying for believers to be one in the sense that they are in union with the Father and the Son. We are the temple of God. God dwells in us and we dwell in Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. Beloved, you're temples of God. God dwells in you and you dwell in God. You're in union with God. You're in union with Jesus and the Father. And we should pray for this, like Jesus. As we look at this prayer, see how to pray. And Paul prays this way. Even though as Christians we already have Christ dwelling in us, Paul prays, let it happen more. 
And Jesus is praying, let it happen more. Let us, let us be unified more. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. This is why I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it when reformed people look down on asking Jesus into your heart. Well, Paul said it. Paul said to pray it. Yes, it happens through repentance and faith. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Why? Why do we need power? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what Jesus prays. Right? That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a wonderful prayer. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. This is what Jesus is praying for would happen here. And this reality of our union with God and in God will work its way out practically into the way that we live our lives. It, 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 it has to. It, it must work its way out into the way that we live our lives. Jesus is praying for believers to be one in right belief in the truth of who Jesus is. We, we must be unified in truth. We, we must confess this. People talk about love, 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 and unity, unity, unity. Jesus, the unity Jesus prays for is unity in the truth of this confession. We must confess the truth, know the truth, love the truth. We're unified in the truth. That's why at this church we have a statement of faith that every member must sign. (laughs) Sign that dotted line. Yes, this is what I confess. Our our unity is in, in truth. Uh, we, we have this unity in truth and belief of who Jesus is. One in faithfulness to trust and obey God. One in purpose. We, we have a purpose at this church. Our statement of faith is Jesus' great commission. Go therefore into all the world and, and preach the gospel and make disciples and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because Jesus has all authority and He's with us to the end of the age. We have this single unified purpose and mission. And we're to be unified in that. We're, we're to be one in love. We're to deeply love one another. Deeply love one another like the love relationship in the Godhead. The Father loving the Son. The Son loving the Father. The Spirit loving the Father and the Son. That they have this love triangle. They deeply love one another from all eternity. And we are to deeply love one another as believers. You see this in the early church, right? They sold their possessions. They sold stuff to help each other when they needed help. They spent time with one another. They broke bread together. They ate together. They spent lots of time together. This oneness in love, this oneness in action and mission to glorify God and save sinners and see people taught to obey all that Jesus has commanded. This is what Jesus is praying for. We we see beautiful expressions of this throughout the Bible. Psalm 133, 1 through 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. 
on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of its robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on Mount Zion, the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We see it in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, and 11 through 16. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And verses 11 through 16, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined uh, and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And 1 Peter 3, 8-12, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Beloved, Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of his people. So pursue unity by pursuing him by his power. Point three, Jesus kept His disciples unified during His earthly ministry. Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name, which You have given Me. Again, He says that name has been given to Him. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Beloved, notice this. Jesus does what His Father does. (laughs) The Father keeps, the Son keeps. Jesus kept His own disciples in the Father's name and in His name by guarding them so that none was lost. All His disciples fled and forsook Him in His greatest hour of need. Peter even denied Him. But Jesus prayed for them. Jesus kept them. And Jesus brought them back. Jesus is God. Jesus acts and does just what the Father does. And yet, Jesus does make mention of Judas here. Judas was lost, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. One was lost, but he kept them. He kept the rest. He kept them. And he'll keep you. And Jesus' goal in keeping His own in the Father's name and in His name and guarding them is the same as the Father's goal. That they may be one even as we are one. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. Point four. 
Jesus' disciples will all experience Jesus' joy fulfilled in themselves. Look at verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus says He speaks these things. What is He talking about here? These things. Well, the things He's praying. Jesus speaks these things. He's praying this prayer, and others hear Him pray. And, and uh, this is one reason I would say it's not wrong to write out prayers, because Jesus clearly prayed to teach others. John eleven forty one through 42 And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard me. I knew that You always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that You sent me. So Jesus is speaking these things. He's speaking this prayer for the instruction of His disciples. But I think He's also speaking these things. It refers to the whole farewell discourse from the end of John 13 all the way to John 17. He's spoke these things to encourage and prepare His disciples for His departure. And he, so He prays these things. Why? Why does Jesus speak all these things? He tells us. Because He desires that your joy would be full, even as full as His own joy. Jesus wants you to be happy. Some of you may have heard that distinction between happiness and joy. I don't buy it. <laughs> Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Some people do say, joy is this deep thing that, that stays the same and happiness is just fleeting emotion. Okay, well, you, you define your terms. I, I just don't, don't see that as very helpful. Um, uh, joy. Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you to be joyful. He, he, he wants you to delight in Him. And yes, it is a deep joy. Now, now, Piper has a good illustration of this. The, the ocean currents always run in the same direction, even though there might be storms on top, and the waves crash, and the wind blows, and so sometimes we can be swayed, but the deep joy, the deep currents always run in the same direction. That's true for the believer, right? We, we have things that happen in our lives that, that shake our joy, and, 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 and we wrestle and struggle with that, uh, but, but Jesus came and spoke these words that we would have a joy as full as His joy. Amen. Jesus wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. But He doesn't want you to settle for what most Americans get happy about. <laughs> we have to understand that, right? Most Americans get happy that their team wins today. They get happy that they got a, a, a nice house, a nice car, nice clothes, that life goes well for them, that everything's just wonderful in life. No, no problems with health, no problems with wealth. Everything's wonderful. That makes me happy. That, that's not the kind of joy Jesus is talking about. He's, he's talking about a joy that when you lose all of that, when you lose all of that and you still rejoice in God. You see, it, it, you know, that story, the Grinch, is a good illustration of this, right? They, the, the Grinch comes and steals all the stuff and, and he thinks that's what makes them happy. 
the hams and the, and, and, and the gifts and the lights and, 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 and everything. And he comes and steals and he thinks he's going to destroy their joy. And he's so happy to make them sad. And, and yet everything's gone. All the food's gone. All the decorations gone. All the gifts are gone. And they're still singing. That's the kind of joy. I don't know what made Whoville people happy. Did it ever say? I don't know. But for Christians, Jesus is what makes us happy. So, so that when we lose everything, we lose wife and husband and daughter and son and health and church and job and life. Our joy is full in Jesus. That, that's the kind of joy Jesus is praying for here. He wants you to be happy in God. Pray for me that I would be. And pray for each other that we would be. Jesus says in John 15, 7-11, John 15, 7-11, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I mean, that's, just, that's an amazing thought, beloved, that the joy of Jesus... The God-man who is totally satisfied in the fellowship with his Father. That joy, that everlasting joy, that infinite joy be in you. Pray for that. Pray that I would have that. I don't think I got that yet. Pray that I would have that. Pray for each other that we would have that and our joy would be full. And it's a joy that can never be taken from us. John 16, 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. That's Jesus in John 16. No one will take your joy from you. Now there are a million, there are a million applications I could make about having joy in God and how that severs the root of sin in our lives. When we have joy in God, we don't have joy in porn. When we have joy in God, we don't have joy in adultery. When we have joy in God, we don't have joy in anger and discontentment. Uh, when we have joy in God, children, we, 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 we love our siblings and don't argue and complain. I mean, joy in God is, 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 is how we fight sin. That's why I'm so thankful for Christian hedonism. If you've not read John Piper's book, Desiring God, do your soul a favor and read that book. I used to carry boxes of them in my trunk and give them away to people. If you can't afford one, I'll buy you one. Just come let me know. Joy in God. We can make a million applications. I'm going to make one application uh, about unity. Unity. Beloved, do you know <clears throat> uh, one of uh, a, mo a motto I like is Christ is all. Do you know where that comes in the Bible and what the context of that is? It's unity among God's people. Christ's joy in you and you finding your joy in Christ will cause you to pursue oneness and unity with other believers. 
Colossians 3.11. Here, here in the new covenant, in the new creation, in the church, which is an expression of, of the new covenant and the new life of Christ we have in us. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. There's not Palestinian and Jew. There's not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Just like Jesus prayed. What does that, what does that have to do? What does Christ is all and finding our joy in Christ have to do with, with unity? Well, I call on a witness named John Piper. Christ is all is the death blow to racism. Why do we despise or hate or shun or avoid or disparage or distort? Is it not because we are weak and fearful and insecure and proud and angry and without deep peace and love in our souls? Do those ugly things come from people whose treasure is in an all-satisfying fellowship with Christ? I think not. Therefore, what we need is to reckon ourselves dead to all but Christ as the satisfaction of our souls. We need to love Him so much and find in His fellowship such completeness that we speak like the psalmists. Psalm 16, 2, I say to the Lord, Thou art my Lord, I have no good apart from Thee. Psalm 73, 24 through 25, which I'll forever refer to as Isaac and Heidi's wedding text. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides Thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or like the old hymn writer says, Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. Old to be a church full of people who sing that and mean that and live that. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. Christ is all. In that fellowship, Paul says there is no Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Lord, grant us so to die and so to live that Christ might be all and all. Beloved, Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him as your all in all by His power. Point number five. Jesus' disciples experience hatred of the world and attacks from the devil. Look at verses 14 through 15. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus has given His disciples the Father's word. He told us this in John 14, 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus came speaking the Word of God. He is the Word of God. He came speaking the Word of God. He came coding Old Testament Scripture. He, 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 when He spoke, it's the Word of God because He is God. He's given Him. He's given His disciples. He's given us the Father's Word. And we're told the world hated Jesus' disciples. Just like the world opposed Jesus and ultimately killed Him, so they hated and will hate His disciples. Remember, the world is all that stands in opposition to God and His ways and His Word. Beloved, every single one of Jesus' disciples were killed because they followed and testified of Jesus, except for the Apostle John, who was exiled on Patmos because of the Word and the testimony of Jesus. 
The world hates Jesus. The world hates Christians. It may be sort of hidden for a while when, when, when the, 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 the culture is so influenced by uh, 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 Christ and, uh, and the Word of God, but, but, but the bottom line is Jesus tells us the world has hated them because they're not of the world. But beloved, notice this. Jesus does not ask for his disciples to be taken out of the world. <laughs> he doesn't ask for his disciples to be taken out of this, this place in context where they're hated. Does that make Jesus unloving? No. No. Jesus didn't pray for his disciples to have their best life now. <laughs> he didn't. He, he could have taken us out of the world. As soon as we're saved, boom, up to heaven. But He doesn't. He doesn't. He has great purposes for that. Often, great suffering for the cause of Christ causes unity among God's people. I guarantee you, if the persecution comes in America, a lot of the little Twitter spats people have, they won't have anymore. Because when they're trying to chop the head off of your friend who believes in Jesus but disagrees with you on baptism or disagrees with you with some other minor thing, like church is divided over wearing masks. That's wicked. That's satanic. You can have different views on that, but to divide over it is satanic. Pastors lost their jobs over that. That's satanic. That is not the unity that Jesus prays for here. And I guarantee you, when they start chopping heads off, we're not going to care about that anymore. And we're going to be unified about what really matters. Hebrews 10, 32-34 but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so Michael Osborne, let's say, it gets so bad in America and Michael Osborne doesn't care and he proclaims the gospel and gets put in prison because he won't be quiet about Jesus. And he's put in prison there and the authorities tell me, uh, Pastor Joseph, if you go visit him and, and take him some things that he needs and try to pray with him there in the prison, if you do that, we'll take everything from you. What do I do? I go. I go. And let, uh, 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 for you had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully. I don't just go. Oh man, I wish I still had my car. I love my car, my house. Oh, I'm giving that up for you, Michael. Look at how much I love you, but I'm giving it up. I wish I didn't lose it. No, go joyfully. <laughs> joyfully. 
Yes, I get to see my brother Michael who's suffering for the gospel and be with him and they'll take everything away and I can show the world that Jesus is my God and my car and my house is not my God. And it's a joy. Holy Spirit's got to give us that. The Holy Spirit's got to give us that in that moment. But we'll do it. Now, persecution will cause a unity likes of which you've never seen when we suffer for Christ and love each other. And Jesus also asks for His disciples to be kept from the evil one. Jesus prays like He taught His disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. He prays James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He prays Ephesians 6, 11 through 18, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened to the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having fastened on the, uh, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. He's praying 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Beloved, I'm not saying that great disagreements won't happen in the church over different issues. What I'm saying is it's satanic to divide over a lot of them. And may God give us discernment. You know, Jesus prayed for Peter and He prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's what Jesus is praying for here in John 17 to keep us from the evil one. Luke 22, 31-32 Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers. Beloved, just like Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, that he would be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil, Jesus has prayed that for you to be protected from the evil one. And because we are hated by the world and attacked by the devil, we've got to pursue unity and help each other pursue God and grow in Christ's likeness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. And finally, number six, very briefly, Jesus' disciples are unified by being sanctified by the Word of God. Verse 17, this verse alone could be a whole sermon. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Why do we spend so much time preaching? Why do we have Bible studies? Why do we encourage people to memorize Romans 8 this this year? Why do we encourage people to read through the Bible in a year? Why do we encourage word, 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 word? Because of words like this from our King who prays, sanctify them 
in the truth. Your word is truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, it means to be made more like Jesus. It means to be made more like Jesus, to be holy as God is holy, the Holy Father. We're being conformed in the Holy Father's image, the, the, the image of Jesus. That's what it means, to hate sin more. You struggle with that anger problem. You struggle with, with, with uh, 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 lust. You struggle with this. You struggle with that. Sanctification is when, when you hate that sin more and more and you find your joy in Christ more and more. That's sanctification. Our statement of faith says this, of sanctification. We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of His holiness, that it is a progressive work, so it's going to take for the rest of your life. You're going to keep growing in Christ-likeness. That it is begun in regeneration, and that it is carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer and comforter, and the continual use of the appointed means especially the Word of God is number one, self-examination, self-denial, watchfulness, and prayer. And our church covenant, which a little advertisement, Brother Anthony Butler is going to begin a Sunday school class, which happens every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 9.15. No, 9.30 to 10.15 on our church covenant which we've all promised before God and one another this is how I want to live. I want to live for Jesus. And so if you're interested in learning more about that come out. It's starting on December 10th Sunday morning December 10th at 9.30 sharp downstairs for 45 minutes and, and just digging into our church covenant, what it means to live for Jesus. And our church covenant says in one place, it is my earnest desire and intent that with His help, I will express and exemplify my new life in Christ in my every relationship. I will cultivate and deepen my fellowship with God by daily prayer, Bible reading, and meditation. And so we want to pursue that. As the Father sanctifies us by His Word, we will grow in unity and oneness with one another so that Jesus' prayer for unity will be answered. And make no mistake, beloved, Jesus' prayer will be answered perfectly someday. Like, like, this, like this isn't in question. We're going to be kept, we're going to be sanctified, and we're going to be unified even as Jesus and the Father are unified. That is going to happen someday. So be assured of that. What Jesus prays for, Jesus gets. And beloved, be encouraged to pray for these things, for yourself and for others. Pray. Pray that God would keep you in His name. Pray that we would be unified. Pray that God would sanctify you and others. Michael's about ready, to, I don't know if we'll get it today, but he's making these directories for members. We're going to have those pray, these prayers for your fellow members using the directory. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. And what is the foundation of all this beautiful unity that Jesus prays we would grow in? What's the foundation of it all? On that cross, the greatest unity in the universe was mysteriously disrupted between God and His Son, the Mediator, when He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou 
forsaken me. And he did that so that we would have perfect unity and oneness with Jesus and the Father and with each other. And Jesus didn't stay dead. But he rose up. Again, testifying to the fact that this prayer will be answered. Christ Jesus alone can unify. He's leaving the world to glorify. He and His Father to magnify and make us all one to nullify our sin and divisions that horrify. As Father and Son are one on high, so we are one through Christ who die. They mock and beat and crucify. He die and rise to justify. By faith alone, all those who cry to Him for mercy and comply, He'll keep them safe and near Him nigh. Protect from Satan. Vivify. We're in the world, but we defy. Not of the world, on Christ rely. God by His Word will sanctify. Our whole lives He'll purify and everything He'll beautify. Our every longing satisfy. So in Him trust and to Him fly. Jesus purchased and prayed for the profound unity of His people. So pursue unity by pursuing Him by His power. Father, we ask that we would do this. We pray, O oh God, that You would keep us and guard us. Deliver us from the temptations of the evil one. That we might be one. Lord, we pray that You would sanctify us by the truth. Your Word is truth. Lord, we pray that You would teach us to pray as Jesus did. We pray that we would pursue unity. Father, wherever there are disagreements, wherever there's bitterness, Father, wherever there are people among us who don't talk to one another, wherever there's hatred, wherever there's unforgiveness, Father, wherever and however we are not unified, Lord, we pray that You would make it known to us as individuals, as a church. And Father, we pray that You would hear Your Son's prayer and answer here at Alney Baptist Church that we would be one even as You, Father, and even as You, Jesus, are one. And help us to pursue You, Lord Jesus. Let us find You to be our all in all, that our joy would be full in You, and by Your power we would become one. God, do that, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.